Please turn with me in your Bible to uh, Genesis chapter 26, please. Genesis and chapter 26. And it's just so funny because Paul stands up doing the Lord's table. We did not collude. And the first thing he talks about is the very first time that you see a lamb in the Bible. And where is it? It's at a place called Beersheba, which means the, uh, which means the well of the oath or the well of the covenant or the well of seven. And all last night I'm preparing my message. And what am I preaching on? Digging wells in the valley, digging wells in the valley. Preaching from Genesis 26 and, and, and 19, verse 1. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 26, verse 1, not, not verse 19. So Genesis chapter 26 and verse 19, or sorry, verse 1. I have it written down wrong. Um, and there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and all, sorry, and in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Now let's move down to verse number 12. And it says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds. And, a, and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father served, uh, sorry, his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them, and they filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again wells of water, which he had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, and he called their names after the names which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. Father, Lord, we just thank you for your precious word. We thank you, O oh Father, Lord God, that you, Lord, long to teach us, O oh God, Lord, and instruct us, O oh God, in the ways of you and conform us into the image of your Son, O oh God. And I pray, O oh God, that we see Christ here today, O oh God. I pray, O oh Father, Lord, that you would be at the center of this message, O oh Father, Lord God, that we would see, O oh God, the bread of heaven, O oh Father, Lord God, Lord, that in the midst of this message, Lord, I ask you, O oh God, that you might pour out your spirit and anoint your word, O oh God, and touch our hearts here today in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So there was a famine in the land where Isaac was living, which caused him to move to the Philistine town of Gerar. Isaac prospered in this land, but the problem was he prospered too much and was eventually asked to leave by the king. That word Gerar means a lodging place, and the English word lodging means temporary accommodation. Temporary accommodation. So when Isaac moves, there's a famine in the land. He moves to this place called Gerar, which is a, a Philistine territory. And it's under that king Abimelech. 
And Isaac sowed in the land. That's the first thing it says that he did. He sowed in the land and received in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. So what did Isaac do when he had to move due to a famine? He sowed, he worked. And just because he was promised prosperity did not mean he could be lazy. You see, God's will and man's sovereignty, they're like, I heard Keith describe it as two train tracks. They work in conjunction with each other because God said, sojourn in this land and I will be with thee and I will bless thee. Be very easy for Isaac to just sit back, put his feet up and say, God said he'd bless me. Oh, I'm standing on the promises of God and yet do nothing, not lift a finger, not work to warm himself, and then cry tears when what God has promised has not worked. You see, faith actually takes action. And this is what Isaac did here. He took action. God said he was going to bless him, but Isaac was not going to be slothful in the midst of that promise. And it's the same with us. We've been given a promise of God. The Bible says they'll give us, we should cry for the heathen for our inheritance. But that doesn't mean we just stay in here and we don't reach out. We don't reach people we don't look to touch people out there we are to sow we are to labor we are to toil it's one of the things that the apostle paul can uh, commends the churches that he uh, that that he's writing letters to what for their labor of love what's labor laborious toil labor of love that's what we do here on this earth so what did isaac do he sowed And where did Isaac sow? In the land of the Philistines. The Philistines, they were the enemies of God, always up until that up until that point be very easy for Isaac to say why would I possibly sow or till a land that does not belong to me why would I give something over to these Philistine invaders but that wasn't Isaac's attitude Isaac's attitude was a godly one and God blessed him tremendously for it he was sowing in a land that was not his why because God gave him a promise to do that he was considering the outward testimony of God's people in the midst of an unholy and godly people we should consider those things when we're reaching out to souls when we're in our workplace when we're with our families the testimony of God of our lives you know you might say oh well and that's not what I signed up for well it's it's what you got we are a testimony to the to the heathen outside we are going to be we are ambassadors of Christ for what we are you know I've met many Christians and I've met many people they're just unwilling to nail their colors to the mast unwilling to say that I am a Christian are unwilling to say that Christians believe this and believe that. Why? Because they're afraid of being found out. You know, I met a man one time and he was, uh, you know, walking with the Lord. He was saying, I'm not going to say anything to any of my friends about Christ for two years because, uh, you know, because of uh, just in case I make a mess of it and ruin my testimony. And sometimes there can be wisdom in that if you are given to foolish things and actions. If you're not born again and you're going running your mouth to unsaved people, then you're going to be found out. But can I tell you, burning your bridges with old friends by nailing your colors to the mask is a very, very fruitful thing. Brother Kai, when, who, who preached for us a number of months ago, when he first got saved first thing he did was go on to Facebook live and he says I'm committing social suicide here I'm crucifying myself socially and telling all of you old friends who want to sell me drugs and who want to come and buy drugs off me that I'm a Christian now and I'm born again and I'm not living the way that I once did I'm not one for burning bridges in a physical sense if you ever quit a job make sure you leave on good terms but I'm all for burning sinful bridges that tie us to a Philistine in we must commit such social suicide in the midst of these things and you know what 
we can't go back then. You know, me and Paul once talked about it before. We were saying, you know, even if we, even if we wanted to go out and buy a packet of cigarettes or go get a bag of weed, pride, natural pride wouldn't let me because I've been on these streets preaching the gospel. If I wanted to go buy a pack of cigarettes, I'd have to go drive up to Donegal to buy them just in case some shopkeeper saw me preaching about how this body was a temple someday. Same with all my friends. I had wrecked their heads so bad about how you have to be born again, how you can't be smoking weed, how you can't be taking drugs recreationally, you're committing sorcery by smoking your joints and then what would they be saying to me the second they want to do that transaction, are you not committing sorcery, saying to God there's a very natural pride that can come along that can be used for a godly thing and so that's, what are you conscious of there your outward testimony of God's inward work in your life and this is what Isaac did, he wasn't going to be lazy, he wasn't going to just sit around, he wasn't going to say to this fellow Abimelech's a wicked king, he was going to work and serve and what did God do he blessed him for it and God will bless you if you put your shoulder to the wheel if you plow in this hour God absolutely will categorically bless you for it oftentimes people they go about living the life a life that's no different to a sinner they do their normal work they go to their normally family events they go to their uh, I don't know bingo on Saturdays or whatever they live lives completely normal to what a sinner does and yet they're expecting completely abnormal results they're expecting the power of God to come down at one of their bridge games or something like that and yet no they're not preaching the gospel you have to preach the gospel you have to tell people about souls people say oh well I just let my life be a testimony and yet on their Facebook I can't see anything that resembles Christ on it no testimony in that life. No sirree, Bob. I met, a, I met an, a, an elder in a church one day who really labored on telling me that he was an elder just over and over again. How he's an elder in his church. And when I went to, and not that Facebook is, is, you know, it's not the measure of Christianity, right? But when I went on there, I can tell you a number of things about him. He loves Manchester United. He loves watching Star Wars. He loves graphic design. But I couldn't tell you he was a Christian. I'd have to crawl. I, scroll, I mean, I, now it's probably a little petty, but I mean, I went through years. I just was flicking flick and flick and see did this elder have any anything of Christ any scripture no, nothing nothing whatsoever can I tell you that if you want to be something why not portray that image okay on Facebook if you want people to know you're a Christian don't make it so they have to scroll for years and years you know I've heard people say oh this sports star he's a Christian and that's a Christian what's the first thing I do go to their Twitter page go to their Facebook page and what do I start doing I start looking and if I can't see a scripture if I can't see them going to church if I can't see something that resembles Christ what would make me think that they've given up their lives to follow Christ in all things saying to God if we want to be something let's be it okay you don't need to have to wait for some flash of lightning from heaven or you don't need to feel led of the Lord to post a scripture on your Facebook you just need to do it something if you know as I'm just reading and I'm preparing I'm praying I just stick something up because it touches my heart do you know I just, I'm, I'm not like a Keith I'm not putting big essays up but I put up scriptures why it's I guess you'd call it like an internet diary of, of, of in a sense but there's so many Christians or so many sinners I've met over the years that have told me yeah yeah I read all the stuff on your Facebook they won't that, like, I mean you're talking about people who are like drunkards cocaine addicts people that you'd never expect to be looking and they know all about all the scriptures that I'm putting up yeah I read them they never liked them saying to God people are watching that you could not even possibly imagine and that's what happened here with Isaac people were watching him <laughs> 
And because he lived righteously, the Bible says that he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great store of servants. It should not surprise us that Isaac prospered because God said, sojourn in this land, which is Gerar, and I will be with thee and I will bless thee. God promised it, it happened. That's what happens. God promises you something, it's going to happen. And I'm not talking about some fever dream, right? I'm not talking about some premonition that you might have felt. Of course, I do believe that God can speak to us. But if God has promised you something in his word, what is it? It is more sure than a word of prophecy. That's what the word of God is to us. If God promises something, he's going to do it. He said uh, he's never lost anybody, nobody except the son of perdition. If you're born again he's not going to leave you he's not going to forsake you when God promises something he means it and when Jesus says cast out the nets we better make sure that we do it we better testify to our friends we better speak to our family members and if you're not doing it saints of God I'm standing here as a poor man to other poor men right I've failed in this just as as much as the next guy but that doesn't change the reality that we must be doing it you know it's one thing to say that that's the goal and I'm not achieving it, but we don't change it. Oh, I'm just not that way inclined. Oh, I'm just not that type of person. Do you know in the Bible, there's two words for preach, right? There's stand on the street corner, publicly herald, and there's another that you could uh, possibly interpret as gossip. It's what you do at the marketplace. You go down to the milk market, you start talking to people about Jesus. And that covers, I believe, every single person. You may not ever stand on the street corner, lift your voice and preach the gospel, but you can be inside in a home with a friend, drinking a cup of tea, telling them about Jesus. Telling them, and you know what? It might be a bit clunky at first. It might be a little bit difficult. It might never get going. They might look at you strange, but can I tell you that? That's not much of a persecution. Really not much of an excuse either, saints of God. We must stand for all of these things. If Jesus says, cast out the nets, we should do it. If God says he's going to bless you in the land, make it look like he's blessing you. Make it look like he's going to do his will. Make it easy for God to answer his promises in our lives. Because Isaac did, and what happened? It says he waxed great. It says the man waxed great, went forward, and grew until he became very great. As a result of God's faithfulness and Isaac's faithfulness to the promise, the Bible says he waxed great. Isaac was full of faith at this point in time, but because, I, uh, because Isaac, sorry, because God promised what he would do, that he would do something and it's happening, it's very easy to believe God when it's all going according to plan. I'm preaching today about digging wells in the valley. Keats preached two messages about what a valley is. A valley is a low place, but Isaac is not there. At this moment in time, he's at the mountaintop. And it's very easy when you're looking around your servants, you're looking around at your cattle, you're looking around at all this prosperity, this hundredfold growth in the first year that you sold and dust the, uh, brush the dust off your shoulder and say, wow, I'm a man of faith. Praise the Lord. You know, if it wasn't for me, God wouldn't have answered prayer in this land and I wouldn't have prospered so much. Am I not fantastic? Saying to God, that should never be our hard attitude because we cannot win its great blessing. When we're up there and lifting hands, when we're in the meetings, when we're singing songs, when we're praising, very easy to be men and women of faith there. But when we get into that car and when we go home and we're with our unsaved brother, we're with our unsaved sister, 
cousins, children, nephews, nieces, work colleagues, whatever it may be, are we that same person of faith? Are we that same prosperous individual? Very simple to believe God when you're on the Mount of Transfiguration and you're seeing Jesus being changed before your eyes, but it's very, very different when you're in that low place and Isaac is not there yet. For Isaac, it's all just wonderful and it's all just great and there's nothing wrong with this. You know, being on the mountaintop can take just as much faith as being in the valley. You try prosper and, and see how you handle it. You know, most of us, we, don't, we have not been given a million euro job by God. Why? Because we could not handle it. The money that you have now is the money that God thinks that you're able to handle. And if you don't have more, well, then it's because you're not at a state of maturity for more. And if you don't have less, it's because you've shown yourself faithful to be able to manage the amount that you've been given. If you're faithful in little, you're faithful in much. To be on the mountaintop, to take much blessing, you need to be a special type of person to manage that. That's why the Bible says that uh, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven because there's very few people can, can, can gain worldly riches and keep a tight handle of that it's why one of the uh, qualifications of a leader is to be what not given to filthy lucre not given to this unjust gain this gain of mammon this gain of money and yet so Isaac kept his faith he stayed on that mountaintop he still continued to serve God this is the mountaintop experience and it said he waxed great <clears throat> and went forward and grew until he became very great See, when he became very great, that's when it, things started to slow down and he started to, the, the wheels started coming off the wagon. He was going too fast and he was going downhill quick. <clears throat> and so what happened? It says that, that Isaac, uh, sorry, it says that the Philistines came. Where is it? It says that, the, anyway, the Philistines, it says they envied him. It says so. It says he prospered. He started being good. He started being great. And then what happened? The Philistines envied him. And as a result, what happened then? Abimelech came along and says to him, sorry, buddy, you need to get out of here. He says, you're, you're too great. And soon enough, you're going to be mightier than us. So you need to go. Maybe Isaac said to him, where did he go? I don't know. But Isaac said, <clears throat> sorry, it says, and Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. This is going to be the test of Isaac. This is the real test. Very, very simple, as we said, to be on the mountaintop, to be a man of faith. But when all the things that were going well for you start to slowly come apart at the seams, that's the test of who you are. I mean, we're talking about two tests. The mountaintop is a test. This is a test. And in, in chemistry, if you ever want to find out what an element is, you check its melting point. To see how pure something is, you know, pure gold or any pure element, the melting point is very small. It's so precise. It's within half a, temp, uh, half a degree to one degree. I mean, you're talking about a tiny little amount and it'll just melt instantly. I saw it when I was studying, right? So that's how you tell. If something's less pure, the melting point gets longer. You know, it could be a couple of degrees and it's very obvious. You just take a little bit of sample. You want to tell its purity if the melting point is instantaneous at, at a certain degree then that's what that that's what you find what does God do with us God sticks us between two little uh, sheets of glass and he sets us on fire and he sees what the melting point is he sees are we able to take the highest heights and we see are we able to take the lowest lows he sees what the melting point is and what the freezing point is why because he wants to see what we're made of Isaac you handled that bright light to Gerar now how are you going to manage the valley of Gerar 
Consider this. Isaac went to Gerar because, he was a, uh, because there was a famine in the land. He went there to take refuge. Isaac worked hard to provide for his family in Gerar. He done nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. And yet it was God's will that he be there. Nothing at all did he do wrong. And in fact, God led him there. Consider this, right? We've been there. Maybe you thought God's will was something for your life. And then that all comes apart at the seams. And you wonder, what's the story with all of that? I've been there myself, saying to God. And it's, it's not any less God's will just because something changes. Maybe God sent you to Gerar for a time like Isaac. But maybe you were not supposed to stay there forever and forever. This would have been a very good time for Isaac to fall apart. This would have been a very good time for him to throw in the towel and say he's not going to be there. Or say God's not going to re reveal his promises. Because if God, if God was a promise keeping God, then when I prospered and when I was blessed, I would have stayed in that moment in time. Saying to God, that's, that, that would have been speaking in lack of faith. <clears throat> Just because momentary hindrances, uh, momentary uh, potential hindrances come to the will of God doesn't mean that he has not kept his promise. We must be so careful when we're looking out onto the horizon of our lives and the horizon of our Christian walks and consider how God works in all of these things. If he promised something, he is going to do it. So what did Isaac do? <clears throat> Isaac started to dig, but we'll go there in a minute. We look at Elijah and Mount Carmel. He had a very, very similar experience. You don't need to, or actually, yeah, turn there to 1 Kings chapter 18, please. It is not uncommon for the man of God or the woman of God to be confused given the circumstances that they put before them. Confusion is a very difficult thing to go through because you don't know the outcome. You don't know why something happened. There's, there's just black darkness. Maybe you can't feel God. Maybe you can't feel his will. Maybe you don't know what his will for, is for your life. At least if you're in a bad situation and you have a clear way of getting out of it or you know why you got there, that's easier to handle. But it is a different state of affairs when you're doing the will of God you're doing the right thing. God's blessing you for it. It all seems to be going on track. And then because you're doing the right thing, it all falls apart. It all gets changed. And then you wonder, is God God or is Abimelech God? That's the question. And so let's look at Elijah. He becomes confused. In 1 Kings 18, chapter 1, it says, And it came to pass after many days... <clears throat> that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show thyself unto Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Now we won't read that whole chapter, but in this chapter, Elijah is told that it, it's going to rain. It has not rained in very, very long time in the land of Israel. And he says to Elijah, it's going to rain. And in this same chapter is when Mount Carmel happens. There was a severe famine in the land when the Lord told Elijah, that he would send rain. After this prophecy, King Ahab accused him of troubling Israel. Elijah told him that Ahab was the one to trouble Israel with his apostasy. And so Elijah requested that all of Israel and the prophets of Baal be gathered unto Mount Carmel and let God who answers by fire be God. We all know what happens. God sends fire down. The false prophets are taken away and killed. And then what happens afterwards? It rains. Elijah prays seven times and then it rains. This is 
a literal mountaintop experience. When anyone talks about the mountaintop experience of mountaintop experiences, they talk about a Mount Carmel experience where you see God literally pouring fire down and licking up all of the water and destroying and burning up that altar. And then all of the apostates get killed in a valley next to it. And so this is the, uh, uh, this is a real mountaintop experience. Go to uh, chapter 19 for me. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So basically he says, I'm going to kill you. Ahab goes and cries tears to his wife and then she says, don't worry, honey, I'll handle this. And then she says, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Verse 3, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. This is a very different Elijah to the Elijah who we saw in chapter 18. If you've ever read chapter 18, he basically starts mocking the priests. He says, oh, your God might be off traveling. Your God might be here. Your God might be there. You know, he, he starts to mock them and jest and openly, uh, you know, uh, uh, scorn them for, for dancing because they're dancing around. He's saying, why don't you try harder, guys? Then when they, he tells them to build a trench around the altar, he's so confident that the fire of God is going to come down. He tells them, build a trench around the altar. They pour water in and he says, double it. Let's go. We need more because God is going to answer by fire. If, I, if you were to ask me my personal opinion, I think that this is a haughty, puffed up man at this point. And it's almost made worse by the very fact that the fire comes down and the rain moves. The fire comes down, the rain moves. Even prophets of God are potentially given to pride. And so what does God do? He's going to check the melting point. He's going to test the prophet of God. And so he sends, Jezebel sends him a letter. What's he do? He tucks up his tail and off he goes. He runs away, leaves his servant in Beersheba, goes to Beersheba, leaves his servant there. And then he goes off into the wilderness, sits under a little tree and has an old cry for himself and says, oh, Lord, take away my life. I am better than my, uh, for I am not better than my father's. This was a man who's gone from mountaintop to deep valley in two seconds flat. We're talking about the, the space of a number of verses, 24 hours later, and this fella is now at the bottom of the valley. Saints, if you've ever had that, if you've ever found that, can I tell you, you're in good company with Elijah the prophet. You're in good company with Isaac because he goes from one to the other. We're checking freezing and melting point to see what this guy is made of and to take out all of the dross and to refine him and to make him better. You see, in the midst of these things, we must look for something so Elijah he's down he's in the midst of the valley he's confused he stops off at Beersheba he goes under the juniper tree what did Isaac do when he was in the valley you know we see Elijah he went down and he cried tears for a while what did Isaac do it says Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father for the Philistines had stepped Uh, stopped them after the death of Abraham and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them 
And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. He found where? In the valley, a well of springing water. Isaac did not cry tears in the valley about the great life he had left behind or how Abimelech had wronged him, but he began to dig. And he did, he, uh, did not just dig aimlessly, but where did he dig? Where his father had digged. He went and looked for those old paths. You know, people that say that you need this new gimmick or this new game or this new way of doing church. These people are wrong. They do not know their Bibles. They do not search the old paths. When someone comes and says that they have found a new way to God or they have found a new way to fellowship and a new way to worship, you should run a million miles from that person. We heard Brother Keith say the other day from that church in London that we were with. And I asked that pastor, I said, oh, have you ever preached in that pulpit? This is Martin Lloyd-Jones pulpit. If I was in that church, you wouldn't get me out of it. People would have to pry my hands off it every single day for, for hope that the anointing would come upon me in that moment. But, but what does he say? He says, uh, no, not that one. You know how the nature of ministry has changed. That was the first thing that he said. Well, you know, he said it with such authority, I felt almost offended. How dare you? I don't know such corrupt truths that you know. The nature of ministry has changed. The nature of ministry, saints of God, has not changed. It has always been the old paths. It has always been the same. It has always been what the Bible says. If you're in the midst of the valley, don't go to some false Christ who tells you, this is how you get back to the Lord, or this is how you get the joy of the Lord back because you're so downcast know what you go looking for the wells that your father Abraham had dug and you don't give them new names you don't get their old truths don't you dare try take an old truth and repackage it and pretend that it's something new that you have come up with you look for those old paths that's what Jeremiah says he says look for ye out the old paths go for those old wells that had been stopped up by the Philistines. You see, the Philistines had filled those up. They didn't see the use in them. These Philistines were crying tears because Isaac was prospering. And yet you find out that the Philistines had filled every single well up after Abraham had died. They said, we don't want that. We don't need that old, we don't need that old, uh, old way of doing things. We have different ways of getting water. You know, wells aren't just for drinking water. If you're in a really hot place like, uh, like uh, Israel, uh, wells are used for irrigation for plants so they build pumps and irrigation systems and so a well is, a, is, a, is really a spring of life in that moment but we understand that it speaks to, to spiritual life As, when we sing that song spring up a well within my soul Isaac started to dig he found those wells he dug up the old ones that his father had dug and then his servants began to dig in the valley and what did they find they found a well of springing water and you might say valleys are difficult. You might say valleys are bad places. I went back and listened over to Keats, uh, that first uh, God of the Valleys message. And he says, a valley is a low place. A valley is a low place with very little vision. You might think to yourself, what good can come of a valley? Can I tell you, if you dig in a valley, you might strike gold. You might strike a well of springing water. If you've ever seen a well of springing water where Keaton and Joshua are gone turkey in those mountains, you can drive along. You might see one just at the side of the water and it's just gushing water. Well of springing water doesn't care what it gets wet. It's overflowing. There's a pressure underneath the earth that pushes that water up. And whether you like it or not, it's going to get everything in its vicinity wet. And it's going to be like that uh, in Psalm 1, like 
like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth fruit their uh, bringeth forth their fruit in its season. If you're a tree, the type of a Christian, and you're next to a well of springing water, you're going to bear fruit. It's just natural. Give it sunlight. Give it the right type of soil. Give it the right type of water, and fruit's going to come. You don't need to start striving. You don't need to try, but you do need to dig. Saints of God, can I tell you, you've heard it said, you should do or die. Can I tell you, it's dig or die. If you're in the midst of the valley, it is dig or die, because if you don't find water, you're going to die in that valley. That's what's going to happen. If it's the beginning of summer and rain's not coming, then you're going to die in that valley. And Isaac understood that. Rather than sitting there on the ash heap crying about the, 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 the hard life that God has given him, he says, guys, get the shovels. We're going digging. We're going looking for him. And the Bible says in Proverbs, it is a glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. If you're in the valley, maybe ask why. Maybe start digging through your own mind circumstances. You know, not all valleys are the same. This one, Isaac, followed the will of God. He ended up in that valley. Some people have been in valleys and pits that they have dug themselves and that they have brought themselves into and they've decided to be there. Very important you start digging. Very important you start figuring out, what am I doing here? Why are we here? Is this the will of God? It's not always faithless to say, am I in God's will? It's good to check and test and speak to your pastor and talk to people. Can I tell you, a Christian without a shepherd is not a Christian. In the check, in the Czech language, um, and that's, it's the same in English, in fact, that word pastor is only translated, I believe, that, that Greek word for pastor is only once in Ephesians, and they call it pastor. Everywhere else in the New Testament, it's translated in shep, uh, as shepherd. In the Czech language, they get it right. The word for pastor is actually shepherd, so they would say shepherd Keith or shepherd such and such. It's, it's the word for shepherd. And so when someone says that they're a sheep, and yet there's no shepherd, then they're a sheep that's about to die or they're a goat. They're not a sheep whatsoever because God has intended that sheep flock together and that they come and stand under the protection of a shepherd. The, the shepherd has a staff and he has a rod. It's not just for the correction and guidance of the flock. It's also for protection against wolves. You see, sheep can't build fences to keep wolves out. And wolves are going to come and wolves are going to try and take lowly little sheep away. Particularly, what one is the wolf going to go for? The one that's on its own. The one that's wandering about on its own. The one that's off there. If you're in a valley, I would suggest you dig. Try figure out how it is you got there, why you're there, and start digging. And you know what? Maybe that digging experience might be painful. Maybe it might be tiring. I don't know if you've ever dug in dry Israeli soil. I mean, I, I certainly have not. But I'm assuming it's not easy. It's not like the soft ground that we have here. It is a tough work to dig. And you know what? When you're digging a well, you don't know how long you're going to dig for. You don't know, are you going to be here for two days? Are you going to be here for two weeks? Are you going to be here? Are you even going to find water at all? Maybe halfway down, you're going to be down there and you're going to be head height. And you're saying, we better start finding water here. I'm not going to be able to get up. This well might become a pit. But saying to God, we continue to dig. We continue to look for that water. Why? Because you don't have a choice. You do not have a choice. You must dig in the well. Well, I don't feel like digging. Well, 
Sit there and starve to death and go thirsty and whatever. Die in the midst of the midday sun. But you have to do something. You have to get up. You have to shake yourself. You have to move. Even if it's not, you know what? Maybe you might dig a well and an older brother might come along and say, you're digging in the wrong place. And you might have spent half a day digging there. You might be up to your waist at that point. Well, you just start again. Brush your, dust yourself off. You go looking for somewhere else. Go look for the presence of water. The word of God. Jesus Christ. Christ himself, but when you get there, it's a, it's a, it's a high-risk, high-reward strategy. Says you're going to sweat, you're going to be tough, you're going to be working. But once you hit that wellspring, once, once you hit that wellspring and you start feeling that there is life eternal, that's a water, that's a well that if you drink of it, you will never, ever thirst again. We sing that song. What never thirst again? Amen. What never thirst again? Amen. Once you get to that wellspring of water, you never thirst again, saints of God. Never, ever, ever. But what happens when they dig that well? I'd love if I could just stop the scripture and just say, yeah, they dug the well, they hit the spring of water, and all was peachy keen after that. No, it says that the herdmen of Gerar, the Philistines, did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, the water is ours. Wait, hang on. I thought you blocked up the wells. The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Ezek because they strove with him. And so what did they do? They go cry tears? No. They digged another well and strove for that also and called that name Sitna. Ezek means contention. Sitna means hatred. And every single well they dug, the enemy tried to claim. And this again adds to this confusion, doesn't make sense. It's like, why are you coming from my well when you already blocked up my father's well? But you know what? Those Philistines are like older brothers with younger brothers, just can't let them have their own things, have to take their nice things for themselves and commandeer them and find interesting ways of commandeering their younger siblings' stuff. And they come along and what do they see? They come along to a well that they did not dig, that they did not work for. And then they said, it's ours. And yet Isaac and his servants did not cry tears. You know, the Bible says, why do you not suffer yourselves to be defrauded? I understand that is in the context of believers taking each other to court. But can I tell you, if somebody's cheated you out of 50 quid, then that's, that's a coal upon their head, right? That's not, that's not if, if you're so moved by mammon that you're going to get upset and not forgive someone over something like that, then there's something wrong for you. And if you've dug a well and you've worked at it and you've tried your hardest and, you've, and, and you've, you've fought for that well and made a thing about it rather than just going off and digging again, can I tell you there's something wrong? I read a testimony that brought me to tears in a Watchman Nee book one time. Uh, and it was... This man, a Chinese man, and he was in his rice paddy in, in China. And uh, rice paddies, if you've ever seen them, they're on the side of cliffs and they're steeped. They fill the top with water and then the water flows down because rice need uh, an abundance of water to grow correctly. <clears throat> so he would get up very early in the day, four or five o'clock, and he would start to uh, dredge the water up. He'd irrigate it with his well and it was very tough work because you're in the top of a mountain or the side of a mountain. He'd work, he'd work. And he was finding that his water wasn't you know, doing what it was supposed to, it wasn't filling. He had found that his neighbor in his neighboring rice field had broken a hole 
in the side of that wall and was just taking all of that fella's water, taking all that water. So he blocked up the hole and he did it again. And then the guy broke down the, the, the hole again and did it. And this, this Chinese man was a Christian and he was wondering what he did. So what did he do? He got up twice as early. He pumped twice as much water. He filled up his neighbor's rice paddy. He filled up his own rice paddy. Saints of God, that's the Christian. That's the Christian. Jesus says, easy to love those that love you. But what about the tax collectors? What about the people, the enemies of your soul? What about the people that have wronged you in times past? You know, this is almost a fresh revelation to some Christians. I can't have unforgiveness in my heart. Even if somebody's wronged me, Jesus said, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. What did they do? They got up out of the well. They said, here, you can have strife. You can have hatred. Keep it. I don't want it. Christian doesn't want anything to got to do with a we the wells of strife and hatred. Why? Because the water that's going to come out of it, very bitter. Very, very bitter to the taste. They move on, they make another one. Saints of God, I believe that they uh, overall dig six wells and I'm finishing with this, sorry, seven wells and, and you'll understand why I believe there was the four that they digged plus the ones that Abraham had. So Isaac dug the Abraham ones and his, uh, his servants dig the other ones. So they, they dug a well, contention, Philistine said, we want it, have it. They dug a well, Sitna, called, which means hatred. Philistine said, give us that one. They said, fine, take it. And then well number six, they called Rehoboth, it says. And he removed from thence and digged another well, for they strove not. Saints, it might take you till six wells before the striving ceases. Maybe God's trying to test your heart. Maybe God doesn't care about your well. Maybe God doesn't care about all the work you've done digging and all the... Poor me, hardships that you've done. Maybe God's looking for patience in your heart. Maybe God's trying to work patience in us. We don't always understand stuff, but you know what? The valleys of confusion are good for working patience. Where, and and keeping, keeping your focus straight because the Bible says the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. When it's darkness around, what do you do? You walk by faith. When you're all confused, what do you do? You walk by faith. You don't go and you ruin your testimony in some nightclub or a pub. You don't go uh, back to the world because things have gotten strange for you. You don't go seeking it in oh, godless relationships, unsaved people, all these different things because, oh, God couldn't possibly bring me a partner. None of these things. What you do is you just keep doing the same thing. And over time, you mature. And over time, you might get to a sixth well and you might think, oh, I don't even want those two previous ones. They call this one. Rehoboth and, it came, and he called the name of it Rehoboth and he said for now the Lord hath made room for us and, he shall, and we shall be fruitful in the land now the room the Lord has made room for us That's, that word Rehoboth means broad spaces open spaces you know, it might take a while for all of your kids to get houses off the council, but when it comes, your house will feel like a very broad space. Maybe all that time period was testing. Maybe all of that time period was to work patience in you, to see what it's like when you're digging wells. Do you know, maybe some people, when they're digging wells, they get ratty, they get irritable, and they never, you never would have known that lest they had been tested to their very, very limits. And God does that. He tests us and then relieves us, and tests us and relieves us. You know, an open space I'd love to call a certain apartment in Watergate Rehoboth oh broad places room to praise and call upon the Lord hallelujah, hallelujah. saints of God if you're digging 
and you're at wells number five and six, those open spaces are coming. God has promised that he's going to bless you. God did not promise Isaac that you're going to dig wells for the rest of your life. All right? God did not promise that you're going to be here digging wells for Philistines while they're laughing at you, saying, I will take the next one off him and the next one off him. The Philistines are bullying the people of God. And yet what do the people of God do? They don't take up arms. They say, come on, guys, get your tools. We're digging again. We're going again and saying to God, we're going to continuously dig in this hour. We're going to keep on going. And so the, the testimony in all this, it says, and he went up from thence. So after they had Rehoboth, the striving stopped. No more strife. They finally got into a place where those stupid Philistines are leaving them alone. And what happens? It says that he went up thence and went to Beersheba, what Paul was talking about today, the place of the covenant. Beersheba, Bear means well, Sheba means seven or oath or covenant, means the well of the oath or the well of seven. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night. Maybe, maybe you might have to give up two wells to the Philistines and dig another one before God's going to appear to you. You're halfway through the first well and you're saying, where are you, God? Oh, I can't see him. I can't feel him. Maybe he's working patience in us, saints of God. Maybe there's something that he's refining in us so that we might be patient and be able to stand because maybe the things that we're going to face are far worse than six wells to the Philistines. Maybe the things that we're going to face are going to be far worse and you need to have an attitude of heart that's caring, that's loving, that truly loves its enemies, that truly does good to them, that despitefully use you, that truly does good to your enemies. And so the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Israel, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant's sake. And he builded an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dig the well. Now he's just doing it for fun. These guys are professional at this stage. What do they build at that place where the Lord meets with them? They build an altar and they build a well. Saying to God, this church must be a place of an altar where we're going to die to ourselves and a well, where a wellspring of, of, of life can come up, where people can come in. What can you do at a well? You can be washed. You can drink. You can be sustained for the week ahead. You can be sustained in life. Saying to God, we must raise up an altar and, raise, and dig a well and we must not do it with complaining in our hearts. After six wells and a lot of digging, the Lord appeared unto Isaac. What did he do? Build an altar, dig the well. And it says then, this is the testimony, you may not always be justified in this life, but Isaac was. Go with me to um, uh, Genesis 26 and nine, uh, 26. Yeah, Genesis 26, 26. Then Abimelech, this is the king who cast him out of Gerar, went from Gerar and <clears throat> Uhazat, one of his friends, and Phicol, the chief captain of his army. And Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing ye hate me, and have sent me away from you? And they said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. Hallelujah. And we said, let there be now an oath betwixt us, even between, betwixt us and thee. And let us make a covenant with thee, that thou wilt do us no hurt, and we have not touched thee, as we have done unto thee nothing but good, and have sent thee away in peace. Thou art now blessed of the Lord. And he made a feast 
and they did eat and drink. And they arose up betimes in the morning and swear one to another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. They departed from him in peace. You know, Isaac didn't call Abimelech out in his lies. You know, Abimelech says, oh, we only did good to you. We never did you any harm. Hang on, you cast me out of your land. You took the wells off me. You blocked up my father's one. And you're saying you only did good to me. What did he do? He didn't, he didn't criticize him. He went and he made a feast. He went and he made a feast. They did eat and they drank. They even stayed over. They said, look, it's getting late. Stall on. We have a tent. You know, we have a tent just put up over there. It says they rose betimes in the morning. Stayed over and in the morning, their once enemies, now friends, swear unto, uh, unto another. Isaac sent them away and they departed from him. Peace. You know, the Bible says that if you're walking with the Lord God, leave and make your enemies to be at peace with you. Saying to God, it took a while for peace to come and it, it may take a lot of digging, but if God promised you something, he'll do it. And finally, seven wells digged. I believe it's seven because that, they, they named, oh, sorry, it's the next part. So seven wells digged in the midst of the valley, the striving ceased. And then in verse 32, it says, and they came to pass the same day that Isaac's servant came and told him concerning the well, which they had digged and said unto him, we have found water. Oh, hallelujah. That's better than any oil strike in the, in the state of Texas. We have found water. What a testimony. Our enemies have gone in peace. We have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. Sheba, that means seven or oath. In ancient Hebrew, to swear on yourself, you could say to seven yourself. They have three different words for the word seven. Sheba is one of them. The well of seven. Sheba equals seven promise or oath. And how many times, think about this, right? Elijah, how many times did he pr pray before God fulfilled his promise? Seven. How many wells did, did, uh, did they dig before God fulfilled his promise? Seven. Where did Elijah go when he first ran for his life? Beersheba. That's where he ran from. He went from Mount Carmel. He went to the well of the oath. Saints of God, we must go look for those places. The well of the oath and the promise, that's where he went. And both of these men went from the mountain top of the top down to the valley. And what did we learn? That the God of Israel is a promise-keeping God. He's not only a God of the mountaintop, but he's a God of the valleys. Stand with me. Father, we thank you, O oh Father. Lord, that you are not just a God of the mountaintop where all physical and military advantage is given to the person on top of it, Lord, but you are a God of the valleys also, O oh God. Lord, that you sustain us in the midst of digging wells, O oh Father. And Lord God, that we can say that we have found water, O oh Father. Lord, we ask you, O oh Father, help us, O oh God, that that would be our testimony, O oh God. Lord, that when the Philistines take something from us, O oh God, that we hold dear, Lord God, that we would give it freely, O oh Father. And move on, Lord God, to see your promise fulfilled in this hour. Lord, when we're in a low place, help us to return to Beersheba, O oh Father. Help us, O oh God, to go to the well of the oath, that we might drink of your precious word, O oh God. That we might glorify you, O oh God. That we might praise you, O oh God, in the midst of a valley, in an evil hour. Oh, Father, we worship you and glorify you.